Psalm 14. Psalm 14. So this is what it says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there is anyone who understands. Is there anyone who seeks God? All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all things evil do all evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But they are overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Amen. So the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Some great things in this psalm and the beauty of reading the psalms. Rob is preaching, is he preaching Psalm 14 as well? Out in Brain. If you listen to his sermon Wednesday on the podcast, you'll hear Rob bringing out something different because that's the beauty of God's word. It's multi-dimensional. It's, it's 3D, HD, it's full on. You could, I could preach this next month and have a totally different sermon. That's the beauty of God's word. And then, so here we have the, the opening statement. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And then the fool said in his heart there is no God. And David looked at those who denied the existence of God. And he came to the conclusion that they're fools. Right? And then, um, so it's like the word fool is, sounds a bit hard. It sounds a bit, it sounds a bit like, wow, I don't want to be a fool. And when David says there's no one that does good, there's nobody, he's not saying there's not good people in the world. So he's not saying, like, he, he, he's, he's, he's speaking about everything that he sees. So he's not saying there's not people that do good. But even when you don't know God, even the good that you do can be selfish. So he's saying even there's no one that does good in the world. And the idea behind this ancient Hebrew word translated fool is a word called nabel. And the, it means not to be an intellectually fool, meaning you're, you're, you're stupid. But it's more morally. It's more about um, those who, who in their mind and their heart simply reje- reject God. Listen to what it says. If come up back there again. The fool in their heart says there is no God. And that it's not saying that just that there's no God in some theoretical way or intellectual way, that it's saying it in a practical way. It's really saying, no God for me. Not that there's no God, but there's no God for me. The fool says in his heart, there's no God for me. I will not have God. I will not have God. I will not have Yahweh rule over my life. Tell me what to do and tell me how to become. It's like, the people, the man that says, or the woman that says, or the ideology that says, or the idea that says, that, um, that becomes an enemy of the very existence of God, a promoter of that there's no God for me, therefore there will be no God for you. A promoter of humanism, a, a promoter of false spirituality. Anything that, that flies in the face of acknowledging that there is the, a God and the God of the Bible. David says that it's plain to see 
when you look around, uh, that, um, the evidence is there that there's a God. The evidence is there. Look at creation. The fact that man tries to erase God from existence or denies God from in existence doesn't mean that God can be erased. Because he can't be erased. Why? Because he's God. He's God. The word Nabel, the Hebrew word Nabel or Nabel means to, it implies an aggressive perversion of a God or of God's. Denies the evidence that is there. Denies the moral authority in the universe. and That says I'll only believe something if it's proven by science. It's the person who takes long and dramatic um, time and space and, and energy to prove that there's no God, even though the existence is there. Look at anything. I remember I was talking to an atheist, and he was a good lad, a good man. I remember him saying to me, all of his arguments, like there's an argument called a cosmetological argument, meaning the universe. And it's used by Christians and atheists. And I didn't know this, I only read this this week. But I do know it. Because this guy, Pat, was telling me one day that he, he went into all of this universe and everything that he knew about the universe and, and the space and the stars and the planets. And, and I kid you not, I'm in there, he's telling me stuff and I'm in my heart and I'm going, wow, Lord, you're amazing. <laughs> you know, like, and he goes, what do you think of that? I says, God is amazing, isn't he? I says... <laughs> He was trying to disprove God, but to me, he was like, my goodness, thanks for all that information. I said, I want to tell you something. Not only did God make all of those trillions of stars, but he has a name for every one of them. And when you look at, look at anything up on it, you know, earth is a speck of dust that we live on. When you go to the universe, we're, we're a speck of dust. It's incredible that we can be sustained in all of that all the universe, that this universe, this world, this land, this earth is being sustained by God. Everything is being held together by the word of God. Everything. So incredible. This same man says to me, I said something that God so loved the world. Not only did he create the cosmos, but he loves the cosmos. And he loves earth and he loves the people. That he gave his only begotten son. He loved us so much he gave his own. He says, love. Now, he wasn't aggressive. He was just a searcher. Don't talk to me about love, he says. He says, for all you know, no, love is some type of virus that got into the human psyche. True. He had a baby. The same, his wife was in the kiln the same time as Sharon had there Naomi, who was singing on the stage. And I said, I'll tell you what, Pat. You go over to the hospital and you go and see your baby and I'll go and see my baby. Two girls. I says, and what you feel in your heart for that little girl, you try tell her that's a virus. You try tell yourself that that's a virus. He says, no, I never thought of that. But yet, he was being foolish in the way he was allowing himself to be think. The existence of the universe tells us that there's a design. The, the existence of mankind tells us there's a, a design. And if there's a design... There's a designer. If we're creation, well then there's a creator. The moral argument is another one. That there's something in us, if we never even heard of God, 
There's something in us that wants to do right. And there's something very much in us that wants to do wrong. Did you ever have to learn your kid how to tell lies? How to be bold? We just do it. Is that right, Adam? I'm just I always pick on Adam. But the fool says in his heart, the God denier, David is the one that says, that's foolish. The one who has no time for God, who objects to everything, there is God. And the crazy thing is, David, the man who wrote this, one day said, he nearly became a practicing or a practical atheist himself. One day he said to Samuel, he says, I need, in 1 Samuel he says, I need to get out of here because another king was going to kill me. But God had told him he was going to be king. God was told him that you're going to sit on a throne. And when this other king came, David fled. He says, I need to get out of here. And nearly in practical terms, he stopped believing. And he was denying that God could look after him. See, when you read that stuff, does it hit home? I go, mate. I've been foolish. I've been foolish enough to think that my Father in heaven won't provide for me. I've been foolish enough to think that my God can't protect me. I've been foolish enough to give in to fears. Not living there, because he's good not to let us live there. But some live there. And this morning, it's like he wants you to be convinced all over again to be a believer. That he does care. He is for you. He is on your side. That you don't have to live your life as, a, as an act that God is not existing in your life. I'll tell you how this works out. I told you about my last, I keep telling you about my last five years, right? And here's what I, this is what I know about Christian church. That I say to somebody and go, no, no, I know you wouldn't know what I've been going through. Do you not hear me when I say I'm a human being? And that I have troubles and temptations and failures and sin like you. Do you? No, I don't. I know. It's mad. That's what your mind is saying to you. You don't want to believe it because you want the superhero. And the only superhero is Jesus. And the rest of us, we don't want to believe it about pastors or leaders. No, they wouldn't be touched with that stuff. But I'll tell you some of the journey for a minute. I've been lied about, I've been talked about, I've been put down publicly and privately. That's just in the last couple of years, right? So you can read into that four years. So this is what I used to say. Do you know, see those guys, what they're forgetting is they're doing this before God. Is that right, Lou? Have I not said that? They're doing it before God. Do you know why I never defended myself publicly? Because they're doing it before God. Because I'm not a practical atheist. I actually believe God is present everywhere. Like, you know why when someone came and says, you, you, I, I, I told somebody to leave this church. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I said, you're never welcome back in Liberty Church. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Why? Because one, he was my best friend. He says, you're not welcome. You cannot do that and think you can just walk in and do, lift your hands to God. Arrogance. I'll tell you where it was. It was in the Coimar Cafe on O'Connell Street. I can't even look at that place when I walk by. Because I didn't lose someone from the church. I lost one of my best friends for 
six, eight years ago. Someone came to me, and you, you, you told her you, and you didn't, and you, you did And I stood there in silence. I don't need to defend myself. I said, you go back and ask the full truth. Why? Because I believe there's a God. I can't be a practical atheist and speak to Sharon like, like she's not. God is listening. I remember one time, years and years ago now, me and Sharon was in America, we're in Dallas Airport. I'm, I'm a walker, I told you last week, I walk everywhere, I love walking. And I walk up and down the big airports and, man, oh, what are they been doing? But uh, I'm trying to look, why do you do that now? I'll just do it. And uh, I'm walking up one day, the Lord brought, and I, I had all these memories of every time I've ever treated Sharon wrong. Flooding me. I thought it was the devil. I'm like, that's my past. That's my past. <laughs> it's under the blood. It couldn't be God. It's in my past. It's under the blood of Jesus. I confessed it before God. Holy Spirit showed me. Noel, there's nothing wrong between this relationship, being vertical. That end of the cross. But he says there's a problem this way. You've never repented. You've never asked for forgiveness of Sharon. I'll go and find Sharon. I say, Sharon, can you go on a walk? We went on a walk. There's other people with us going on a walk. Gets up to a little private area. I'm sobbing. It doesn't know what I'm going to say. We're out been having a great time in America. Please forgive me. These were true sobs. Please forgive me. In all of that, when God, when I realized it was God, before I went and got Sharon, you know what the whole, know what the Holy Spirit says to me? How dare you speak to my daughter like that? You have no right to speak to her like that. I'm telling you, everything he says brings life. Everything. David was practicing atheism by denying God. You can't just live the way you are want as a Christian and think he's not there. You can't just chew in the mill. If you have been, I know how it works. Don't we get busy? Some of the most people that are running from God is behind the pulpit this morning preaching. Are in ministries everywhere across the, the, the world. They're hiding from God still. You can get busy and hide from God doing the work of God. But you're living like in denial that he's there. All he wants to do is heal. Free us up. Liberate us. Rid us of fear and pains and, and, and aches that's in our lives. That's why David is like saying to school, no, don't live your Christian walk like you're Nabal. Foolish. Because see, when we get God out of the picture, look at the world, look at our country, look at your family, look wherever you want, bring it close to you. When I put God out, I'm open to anything. I'm open for anything, I'll do anything, I will allow anything to be done. That's why the government, that's why there's a plan. It's not people in as individuals, but there's people being used by, they're like puppets on a string for the, the kingdom of darkness to advance its agenda on our children, its agenda on our marriages, its agenda on our nation, in, a, in their agenda. Not like our battle is not against flesh and blood, the Bible says, it's against powers and darkness and spiritual forces in heavenly places. So it's like it's not a game. It's not a game. There's life and there's life in abundance walking with Jesus. 
And then in the same breath, there's a kingdom of darkness that needs to be pulled down by those who are in the kingdom of life. In the name and the authority of Jesus. It's just not a game. I guarantee you, you can go around the world today. Maybe not in the, in the, in the, in the, the first world countries. But you can go to Paris today and London today and Dublin today. And you'll see churches entertaining the Christians. And there's kids hanging themselves. It's just not a game. I enjoy Jesus. You know I'm, I've more laughter at me than I've ever had in my life. Or more joy in me than I've ever had in my life. I, I'm like, I love living. But I also know I'm called to a war. I also know that there's people that need us. I also know that I can't live in denial that there's a God. And I can't live in denial that there's things out there that is wrong. Because if you get rid of gods, so you can't really get rid of them. But if you dismiss them, take them out, look at your own life. Look when sin comes into your own life. I drowned out God, don't they? Instead of putting on worship, I put on Van Morrison. You're my brown-eyed girl. And then instead of reading your Bible, you're reading the horse races or something. Do you see how it happens? We push him out. And then we wonder why we're in front of a screen watching pornography. Or we wonder why we're dealing with our wives in the wrong way. Or our husbands in the wrong way. We wonder why there's depression in my family. We wonder why, why is all this? And then we go, where was God in all of this? Exactly where you left them, son. Exactly where you left them. And then you go back to him and he accepts you back. And he loves you. Listen to these two scriptures. You can write them down. They're not in the same book, but they're in chronological order in the Bible. Book of Judges, chapter 21, 25. That's the last chapter and the last verse of it. And listen to what it says. In those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. In those days Israel had no king and everyone done what they wanted. I'm like, does this not describe my nation? Does this not describe our world today? That we push the king out. There's no king. And then everyone is just doing as they see fit. I'll do what I think. Dress the way I dress. I'm even picking my own gender these days. Because there's no king. When there's no king, the people go bonkers. We hurt each other. We kill each other. We even take our own lives. When there's no king. And listen to what the Jews says. So you just flip over the next page. Root verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. one. Here's what it says in Ruth. In those days the judges ruled, and there was a famine in the land. Whenever there's no king, and the people do as they see fit, we end up in famine. We're bankrupt with morality. We're bankrupt with relationally. We're bankrupt mentally, spiritually. Bankrupt. Till someone goes, I want to call upon the Lord. I, want, I don't want to be someone who swaps the real thing for an image of what could be the real thing when I can have the real thing. That Jesus is the God who wants to come, who has come down and is walking the streets. I was praying last week. My eyes closed, but I had an image. We've been praying since the beginning of the year 
And this is the soup that's come out. That our king is not a king hiding in the background. He's a king that wants to lead the troops. So then we start praying. This is nothing agenda-wise. It's Holy Spirit. Then the last month we're praying about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is bigger than this room and this church and any denomination. The kingdom of God. And when I was reading through the, book, the, the Gospels, the kingdom wasn't really in a building. It was out there amongst the broken. It was really seen, like Jesus done a few miracles in the synagogue, but that was really it. Everything else, and I'm like, oh, oh. We need to gather people in. And those who we have gathered, we need to scatter. But to scatter us with the kingdom of God that we know is at hand. So that everywhere we go, we bring life. We bring not evangelism, we bring life. We bring Jesus, we bring healing and wholeness and embracing people. That that's the role of the church. That's how we win a city. That's how we win a nation. You operating in the kingdom of God, not in church mode. Because here's, here's when I tell you, we'll go outside the door in a few minutes, right? And we'll be out there and we'll talk about something and we're laughing and joking and we're jumping around. And, and then we come into church next Sunday and we're like, Is it it just me? Because I I feel I come in here and I put my hands by my side. It's like, I don't know what it is. But you belong to the kingdom. There's joy in your life. There's hope in your heart. There's a king who's presented on, on on the throne of who you are. And he wants the gathered to be scattered so that we can gather him more to scatter them more to bring the kingdom of God. Listen to what it says. God looks down from heaven. One translation says he looks down from the balcony of heavens. I think he used the dolphins barn as the image, the flats. <laughs> it says this, God's looking down from the balcony. Who seek me? Who will have understanding? Who wants to know me? Who wants to understand my heart for people? He's looking. He's looking. He's looking down. Are we going to just live some type of Christianity without knowing him? Without knowing his heart? Are we going to just say he's there but he's not there? Are we going to just say I believe in God but we don't understand his heart or his ways? Are we going to be those type of Christians? Because the invitation of God is come on in and know me. Come on, the word is yada. Not yama, yada. (laughs) It means to know somebody intimately. To know the ins and outs of how they think and they show you, and you know their heart and you know what they think in any given moment. That's what your dad is. And he calls us into this. He's looking down, he's looking for someone who wants to come in. Come on in and know me. That's why he gave me this mandate. I told you at the beginning of the year or somewhere in the year. He says, No, just say to my people, if they come to you, they can pour out their hearts, but tell them to go to Jesus. And this is what the Lord says Go tell them, put on a CD. Worship. Sit in the room say, here I am, Lord. He says, if they do that, this is what his promise to us, I'll meet them there. Have you gone to meet him? Have you gone and sat with him? I'm telling you, you never come away from his presence without nothing. So I was telling you, I was praying, we were praying. And it has this picture of just the feet of Jesus walking along the streets 
nothing, just the hem of his garment and his feet, his sandals and his feet. He says, no, come on and follow me. Come on and follow me. That's his invitation. I'm looking down. Come on and follow me. Because that means not my agenda, his agenda. That's not mean, doesn't mean, like, Lord, I'm going to pray and you're going to bless. It doesn't mean that it means, Lord, what are you doing that I can be involved in? What are you doing? The kingdom of God is at work. So when you go into McDonald's, you can bet your bottom dollar the kingdom of God is working in people's lives that you don't know anything about. Doesn't matter if they're angry with God. Doesn't matter if they're pointing their fists at God. The kingdom of God is at work. It doesn't matter if they think they're atheists. The kingdom of God is at work. The kingdom of God is a feeling kingdom. That's what I've realized by reading this week. He wants us to feel joy, feel love. Isn't that what the world has pushed out God? Isn't that what we're longing for? You know the crazy thing about the fool says in the heart there's no God and God getting pushed out of everything. Hasn't made our society a better society? Worse. I was doing stats this week. I was looking up the stats of depression, addiction, and escapism through gaming or pornography. It's got worse. It's not got better. So having gone out is not a good thing. And yet God says to the church, "Come on and follow me. I'm looking down from heaven, and I want you. To, I want to engage with you. I want to bring you. I want to give you something so that you give them something. You know, hurting people hurt people. Well, healed people heal hurting people. That's what Phil was saying about the grief and the lament. I was like, come on, let's hear what God is trying to say to us. It's all right to get it out because I get you healed. And then people that are hurting, you can say, look, I was once in that position. I know your pain. But here's where I got hope. Here's who lives in my heart. Look at this quote from a man called Alan Scott. A guy that has church up the north. Should come up. The dream of God for your life is not that you'll become a believer and help out the local church. There's the problem in some ways. The local church is making it all about the local church. Serve us. Forgive me for saying this again. You see that dream team, team garbage? I hate it. Stick your dream team. Keep it. I tell, you what we've re- I tell you what we reduced it to. The dream team is you walking in the cafe. Now, we need people walking in the cafe. Don't get me wrong, because how is Jimmy Goff going to get a cup of tea if we don't? <laughs> but that's not, that's not the limitation of God's dream for your life. When does a world go to hell in a handbasket? It cannot be. No one can convince me of it. Listen to what Alan Scott says. The dream of God is not that you become a believer and help out the local church. The dream of God over your life is that you come alive to his presence and bring life to every environment, spilling out contagious hope to a hurting humanity. God has entrusted believers with the assignment to lead earth into life. That's the dream of God. That's what makes you the dream team. That everywhere we go, that this life spills out. Yeah, it can spill out when we're opening the door and welcome people in, but that's not the limit of it. That's what we've reduced God's people to. You're called to win the world. 
You were born to be brave. You were born to walk on water. You were born to tell mountains to move. You were born to cast out the devil. You were born to preach the gospel of Jesus. You were born for it. See how tall I got there? This is your life. Don't let anybody play you down. Don't let your past play you down. Your husband, your wife, your mommy, your daddy. Don't let them play you down. God has made you something and you someone to live in this time and this period of history for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring life. So I want to send us out today. Bob Goff, I have to give you this one. He says, God asks, asks, what is it he made us? What is it? He's made us to love. What is it that captures our attention? What feeds the deep, indescribable need of our souls to experience the riches of the world he made? He leans over saying, I want to change this world. I want to show this world my love. I want to give to this world. And he leans over the balconies of heaven and says, Come on, we do it together. Come on, we do it together. Not you do it on your own. Come on, we do this together. Come on, we lead this life. So how do we do it? We go in the name of the king. We know the king, and we go in the name of the king. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, it shall be done. Not only do you go, but you flow. You flow as you go in his, as you know him. This is what Daniel says, they who know their God will do great things. Do great exploits. Have great adventures. Those who yada. So I don't know about you when you're listening to preaching, but this is what happens when I'm listening to preaching. I ask myself the question, do I know him? If I hear Brother Young, you know what I said about him being transported through space and time to other towns and all that. I'm sitting there going, I want that. I sit there if I'm a preacher, if I'm listening to a preacher or teacher. They say something like, Lord, I haven't got it because I want to be honest with God. Would you move my heart so I get some of that? Lord, I want to say that I, I sometimes live my life like you don't exist. Forgive me. I want to yada you. I want to know you. I want to know that you are watching over me and looking after me and caring for me. And then the flow is, as you know, you go in his name and then you flow in the anointing. What's the anointing? The anointing is the, the oil of heaven that enables you and equips you and empowers you to do what God has asked you to do in the going. You learn what it is in the knowing and he equips you in the, to go in the flow because he won't ask you to do it in your own strength. There's intellectual good-looking people here, right? And then there's me. <laughs> That's not what he puts on the table. He puts, he loves that because he gave you that. But he gives you his power to go. He gives you his power to flow. He, brings, he gives you his power to show his love to people. Because that's what it's about. What's the adventure of God? How can the adventure of God be in your life today? How can you go in and flow in, in, the, in the anointing of God? What would that look like to you? What will that sound like when you go out there? This week I was praying. I woke up and I was praying. And I was saying, Lord... And when I went to pray with Rob, I brought it into that prayer time. I said, Lord, can, I haven't had a divine appointment in ages. Has anyone had a divine appointment recently? Yeah? 
In Italy, well, tell us, tell us quick. Uh, Brian and myself are only back from Italy, and we were up in Verona, and we just seen a Lidl's, a Lidl's or an Aldi, and when I was going in, just just recognised the guy standing at the side, and he, he was he had his hood down over his face, and we went in and we got what we wanted, and we came out, and I said to Brian, look at him over there, you know, so Brian said, we'll give him something, so I went over and I gave him gave him something. And I just looked, I said, he took down the hood and I looked into his eyes and he, he looked at me back and I just said, do you know Jesus loves you? And he said, I just looked like that and I gave him a few bob and went outside, just put my trolley away and he came running out and he said, he turned around and he said, will you pray for me? I said, will you pray? He says, I don't want to live like this. I think he was a refugee, but he's after breaking away or whatever. So he said, I don't want to live like this. And I said, uh, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Want to, you know? So he's, I just led him to the Lord anyway, that way. And um, just Brian said, he, he went back over. And I says, Jesus, I was saying to myself, he's our brother now, you know? And um, Brian gave him something else. So he went over. And I just said to him, you know, God is with you. He's going to be prayed for a job for him and for his family as well, you know? Well, I didn't get one that day. I asked the Lord, Lord, I have a divine appointment. You got two this morning? You told me that he, he went on a walk up the mountain with two blows, led one of them to the Lord at the bottom of the hill, and the other one to the Lord at the top of the hill. And then, so this is Dean. So I didn't have one. I was like, Lord, why didn't I get one today? Woke up the next morning. My prayer was wrong. Went there to pray with Rob. I said, Rob, remember yesterday I prayed a prayer for divine appointments. That was the wrong prayer. So I said, Lord, I'm taking that prayer back. Not that I want to have divine appointments, but would you make me somebody else's divine appointments? Oh, there's people praying. You don't know what that man prayed today, uh, the other day. You don't know what those two guys said last night. You don't know what people are praying for. I guarantee you the kingdom of God is at work. And you were made to be brave to step out like Jackie did or like Dean did. They're not special people. We're special people. They're not, and you experience this when you step out in, in, into the things of God. So when I was with Rob later on, just about an hour afterwards, sitting down in the cafe, a phone call comes in. A young, I didn't know the, the number on the phone. I said, Rob, I really feel I need to, ask, to answer this. Why? Because I asked God. Can I be someone else's divine appointment? A young guy says, look, I'm in bits. I need someone to talk to. I said, I'll meet you at one o'clock. I rearranged everything to meet me around the corner there in two minutes. And I says to him, you know what? I'm your divine appointment today. Why? Because I was spilling life into him. And everyone spilling regrets and making him worse got away than he came to me. <laughs> I'm like, what was that appointment about? You know what I mean? But um, someone gets a phone call to go to a hospital where a mother went home and found her young daughter after taking her own life 17 years of age. To be her divine appointment to say big fancy words or to hug her. On the way out of the hospital, this yesterday, this girl sees me and goes, no, no. That's me nickname from when I grew up in the flats. No, no. I looked around. Went down to them, her and her sister and her niece. 
they're in the hospital because their 50 or 60 year old sister tried to take her life the night before 17 and whatever age and the girl says to me the middle aged girl who was their age says you are from the flats are you still a man of God she said I goes I am so why don't I tell you about your God her son was murdered young beautiful young man ran over in the car in Tallaght slaughtered where was God now what was God doing in that moment? Why didn't he push my son out of the way? Where is he? Somewhere and he's pouring out our grief and our you know what I done? Nothing. Then when she was finished, I says, Can I give you a hug? And I gave her a hug and held her head into me into my shoulder and prayed in her ear. Not prayed to her, prayed to God. God, touch this grieving mother. I'm not convinced me I was not her divine appointment that day. God has them for us. Do we just step out into them? Because I want miracles. I want to go up to the hospital and see that kid rise from the dead. But what was needed was a hug. What was needed? I wanted to tell that girl in my head, I'm like, I'll just lay my hands on her head, that woman, that mother, and she'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. That's just my leaning in my Christian walk with God. She needed someone just to listen. Someone that didn't have to defend God because he's big. And he knows the heart of people and he knows that people need to lament and let this stuff out. And then in the same breath, by listening, it gave me the, the space to, to step into our world and hold her. I'm nothing special. God has those divine appointments for people that you're there to meet the prayer. I want to send us out today. Can we stand? I don't know whether all that made sense, but I just gave you what was in God's heart, I feel. But God's dream for us is that we would spill this life out into people out there. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. Lord, we repent of ever acting like there's no God. As Christians, we repent. We turn from, Lord, anything else that we escape into. And we ask for forgiveness. And we receive forgiveness. And we rebuke every lie of the enemy that has flooded our minds to tell us that we're no good. That how can you now go back? How can you tell somebody, look what you've been doing? We rebuke those lies in the name of Jesus. And we replace them with truth that you send us into this world to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the poor, to cast out the enemy, and to heal the sick. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that today, Lord God, would be a game changer in our church, in our lives, in our homes. Lord Jesus, can you pray with me? Will you trust me by saying this prayer after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for the cross of Calvary that you made a way for me to be accepted by God. I accept that the cross is sufficient for my sins and to lead me into a relationship. I step into that relationship now. Can I know you?
in deep and real ways. Lord, I invite you in to every area of my life to bring freedom and healing. And every lie that I've believed, I break it in the name of Jesus. Will you use me to bring your kingdom into my world? Will you fill me up with the Holy Spirit afresh so that I can be empowered to live out your dream for my life? Will you put your hand on the shoulder of someone beside you? Would you pray a blessing? Would you just pray whatever is in your heart just to bless that person? If, you've, if you don't know what to say, look, it's all right. Just say, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Bless them with health. Bless them with healing. Bless them with strength, whatever they're facing. Bless them with courage. Bless their children. Bless their family. Bless their workspace. Bless them, Lord. We just speak blessing over one another, Lord God. That we just say to you, it's all right to get your stuff out before God. He loves you. He knows and he loves you. We speak blessing over you. Whatever you came in with this morning, we say, Father, Father, would you send us out as those who are who are who who who've come in, Lord, burdened and heavy laden, but send us out, Lord God, with a yoke that is easy and light, Lord. Lord, would you send us out of this place with life, Lord, flowing over so that wherever we are, Lord, Lord God, that we would say, yes, Lord, we want to be someone else's divine appointment this day, this week, oh God. That, Lord God, that if you, Lord, if you show me, I'll step into it, Lord. Fear and trembling, Lord. All of that stuff where I'm going in, oh God, I'm going over, Lord God. Father, and you'd give me wisdom in how to embrace, how to engage, oh God, with those people, oh God. Thank you, Father. Your story is powerful. Your story is powerful. And I release you to tell your story. You don't have to big God up. He's big already. You don't have to defend God. He knows how to defend himself. Just be you and your story of God in your life. That's enough for the person that needs, that is going to be in your path. So I bless you today with, with boldness. I bless you with courage. I bless you with power in the Holy Spirit. I bless you with a light heart right now that, Lord, that you would take, Lord, every burden, every weighty thing off of us, Lord, and you would put your anointing on us, Lord, to be able to live out this week. I say to you every day, I, this is what I pray for you every day, that, Lord, everyone in our church would be alive to the day that's in it. That you would be alive to the moments of living and growing and knowing God. This is what I pray for you every day. This is my exact prayer. That Lord, we would be alive to this day. Alive to God's moments. Of God to, alive to God's whispers. Alive to people around us. And I send you out as the alive ones. The living ones. I bless your ears to hear God. Your eyes to see God. I bless your heart to follow the dreams of God. I bless your heart to follow the dreams of God for other people. We pray for our families right now, Lord. Would you bring them into the kingdom? Bring them in. Those who are outside, bring them in. Those who are far off, bring them near, Father. Come on, just put your hand on someone's shoulder. Pray for their family. They pray for yours. We know there's trouble in your family. 
We know there's trouble in marriages. We know that. That's why we should be praying for each other. That's why we are. Bless the marriage. Bless that person. If they're married or not, bless them. Bless them. Bless their children. We don't know the struggles that someone's going through with their sons and daughters, but there's people going through struggles with sons and daughters. So let's pray. Let's stand in the gap and just pray. Father, let thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Kingdom of God, come. Kingdom of God, come. Things that are stuck, I say, move in the name of Jesus. People that are stuck, move in the name of Jesus. Health that are stuck, move in the name of Jesus. Spiritual walk that are stuck, move in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stay with us for a cup of tea? And I send you out with this blessing. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and he gives you right now shalom. And all the people said, Amen.